Give Eric a hand, a man of many talents. <laughs> if any of you are moving furniture, Eric is available to help. So. <laughs> hey, uh, good morning. It's nice to uh, have the opportunity to share with you some from God's Word. If you're new, visiting, uh, my name is Steve. Uh, it could be confusing. There's a pastor, Steve, here. I'm not that Steve. I'm a different Steve. Um, he gives me the chance to teach every once in a while and uh, I love it. You, this church is a great church at encouraging people to use their gifts and be involved. So uh, I'm always grateful for the opportunity and grateful for Steve and Steph and all their ministry here. This morning, uh, we're going to do our second message in the series, The Called. Uh, and in a way, we're going to be answering the question, what has God called you to? Uh, what's it look like to be called? Uh, and realizing that before you can even have kind of a concept of what happens after the call, you've got to learn how to listen. Uh, if somebody calls you, you've got to pick up the phone uh, and you've got to listen to what they have to say, right? So today we're going to be looking at what does it mean to listen and how does listening to the word of Jesus lead you to a life that God wants to call you to, excuse me, call you to. If you have your Bibles uh, or you have your phones, you have access to a Bible, you could open up to Matthew 13, uh, Matthew chapter 13. We're going to look at a very familiar parable. If you spend some time in the Bible, it should be something that could help you uh, to remember just because it's familiar doesn't mean you stop listening. Uh, God has something to say to us this morning. I firmly believe it. And it's going to be found as we sit humbly before his word and ask for his help. So let's do that before we get any further into this. God, I pray that you would help us this morning because Lord, it is awfully hard sometimes to listen and we need to. We need to hear from you. We don't just need to hear. We need to take into our hearts what it is you would confront us with this morning, what you would comfort us with this morning. So I pray that you would help us to learn what we need to learn, to see what we need to see, to hear what we need to hear, to know deep in our hearts that you're a God who speaks, you're a God who calls, and we were created to respond to your word. So, Lord, this time is yours. Work in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few weeks back, it was really awesome to see a group up here for kind of a panel talking about different ways that God speaks to us. Uh, and I loved it. And this may kind of sound like, oh, we're going to talk about how God speaks again. But I really want to go in kind of the opposite direction this morning. I want to not so much look at how God speaks to us, but how we listen to God. Uh, because we really have to pay attention to what God has to say. I remember when a friend of mine, we were talking about uh, just, so we were doing this thing. I've got five kids, right? The two oldest boys, when they turned, um, I think it was when they turned 13, uh, we did like this, hey, you're becoming a man thing, and we wrote, I had all, a bunch of guys write letters to them, and we'd go out and talk about what it is to be a man and go on a trip, and 
Uh, so I was talking with one of my friends saying, what do you think a man is? And he goes, I don't know, what do you think? And I had all these answers about a man is responsible, a man is strong, a man is independent, a man is, you know, fill in the blank, all these things. And I said, how about you? And he goes, I think a man is somebody who stands face to face with God and talks to him. I thought, darn, that was pretty simple and straight out of the Bible. Good answer, right? I mean, think about it. What, what, was, what was Adam created to do? Stand in the presence of God and talk to him. Live life in relationship with God face to face. That's what a man is. And, ladies, that's exactly what a woman is too. What does it mean to be a woman? It means that you were created to be in the presence of God face to face and live life talking to him, right? In an interactive conversation, listening to who God says you are, listening to what God has called you to do so you could go be part of what God wants to do in the rest of the world. That's, that's what it is that, that we're called to do. That's what being a disciple is. It's renewing our humanity because something, other words slipped into our brains and it became increasingly hard to hear. But our job as disciples of Christ is to be able to listen to him face to face and let his word shape who we are and how we live and what we do. That's what it is to be a human. And that's what it is that Jesus came into the world to, to recapture, to renew. It was to renew our humanity, to put us in the place where we could be face to face with God again and listening and talking with him. But the problem is, while listening is indispensable to finding life in and through Christ, Listening is also a really, really, really hard thing to do. Some of you right now might not even be listening to me, even though you're hearing everything that comes out of my mouth, right? So let's look at the story, Matthew 13. I'm gonna, it kind of breaks into three large ch- sections. We'll go all the way through verse 23, but I'm just going to read the first part, kind of set the stage, and we'll talk a little bit about listening. We'll go a little bit further. We'll talk about how listening to God in particular can be a challenge, and then we're going to wrap it up with what is God saying to you? This morning. So, Matthew 13, verse 1. That same day. All right, we'll stop there. I love that, huh? That same day. So, that day, great reminder. Matthew 13 does not live on an island. Matthew 13 is connected to Matthew 12. Looks like it's the exact same day. This is not an isolated incident. So, reading your Bibles and studying your Bibles, it's always a good idea to stop and say, what is actually going on all around you in this passage? So, If we were to skim Matthew 12, we would see a bunch of stuff happening. Uh, Jesus, his disciples are walking through a field of grain. We could imagine they're walking down an orchard. They're hungry. So what do they do? They glean a little bit. They take some grain heads off and they pop them in their mouth. They grab a pear and they eat it, right? And there are some people who are a little bit up in a tizzy about that because that's working on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that. They get mad at Jesus and Jesus goes, why are you guys so mad? Didn't? Don't you know that the priests would go into the holy place and eat the bread when they're on duty? Like, it's okay, right? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath anyway. Ooh, there's some fighting words. So now people are mad at Jesus on this day. Uh, and then he goes into their synagogue, and somebody's there who's, uh, who's hurt, who um, needs healing. But again, it's a Sabbath. What are you going to do? And he goes, well, what would you do? You have a sheep. We now have three sheep living in our house. Uh, not in our house, sorry. In part of our yard. <laughs> uh, they're not family pets yet. Uh, and they won't be. They're going to be sold at the fair. Uh, so if your sheep falls into a pit, who of you would not go in and get them out? Right? Is it, is it wrong to do good on the Sabbath? 
I'm going to heal that guy. Right? Now people are mad again at Jesus. Not everybody, though. Some people are absolutely amazed at Jesus. Like, wow, who is this guy? He teaches with power. He heals people. It goes on. He drives out a demon on that day. And then the mad people get even more mad at Jesus because, hey, who are you to do this kind of spiritual stuff? Obviously, you're from the evil one. It's just like, really? You're so hard. You think, you think I'm casting a demon out, but I'm part of like the darkness world? That's nuts. It's the Holy Spirit that's doing that. And now you guys are sinning against the Holy Spirit. Uh-oh, for you guys. Right? But you see, Jesus is having a long day. He's in a, uh, he's in a house. He's teaching. His, his mom and brothers show up, and they want to talk to Jesus. And kind of the context is kind of strange. Like, hey, tell Jesus to get out here. Come talk to us. And Jesus is like, no. Uh, you, know who my, you know who my family is? It's the people around who listen to me. That's my family. Right? That's the day. Jesus is having a long day. And now on that day, he goes out to the lake and the huge crowd follows him so much that it's incredibly hard for him to try and talk to everybody. And so he gets in a boat and he goes out on the lake. He creates for himself a natural amphitheater. His voice can carry. And this crowd of people consisting of some people who are amazed at Jesus, some people who are kind of aligned with Jesus, some people who are angry enough to want to kill Jesus, some people are just kind of amused at this whole scene, and they're just kind of there. They're all there. And Jesus has a captive audience. He gets out on a boat. Everyone wants to hear, what is this Jesus guy all about? And he says this to them. He told them many things in parables. A farmer went out to sow his seed as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still others, other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. That's it. That's what he told him. Perfect opportunity to drop a truth bomb. And Jesus tells a story that probably left many in the crowd scratching their head going, we came here for that? I mean, I can look around and I can see the fields and I can see somebody throwing seeds. That's what, that's what he's here to talk about is farming? That's weird. Should probably go home. Some people may have been like, hmm, I think he might be trying to say more than that. But I'm not sure. Whatever the reaction is, Jesus telling parables was very intentional and very purposeful. See, a parable is, is very different than an illustration. If you're trying to make something clear that's opaque, you use an illustration. If you want to make something abstract, concrete, you give an illustration. If you want to make something that is general, specifically applicable, you give an illustration. If you want to leave something intentionally ambiguous, 
you give a parable. See, a parable is indirect communication that's specifically designed to encourage personal reflection. But a parable is. It's indirect communication designed to encourage personal reflection. Jesus tells the story, not because he doesn't have something clear to say, but because he knows the hearts of the people listening, or at least hearing his word, have to have time to wrestle with what he's saying to them. He's purposeful in this. Listening requires giving attention, and listening is hard work. Now, some of you know, when I've been up here, I'm a teacher. I'm a middle school teacher out in Pioneer. And I can tell you, I have a lot of experience now after one year of teaching seventh graders what it's like to be heard but not listened to, right? Anyone else who has worked in schools, you know this too. I could tell you story upon story. All right, class, today we're going to be writing an argumentative essay and the three texts you need are posted in Canvas. Under module for week 24, you can find the three texts there. Where are they, class? They're in Canvas, week 24. That's where you can find them. All right, now, when you read the text, I want you to go ahead and take notes on the paper I gave you. All right, get started. Mr. Thomas, where are the texts? (laughs) Right? There's such great vindication when you're a teacher. And you don't have to be the one who goes, really? Because you have five students in the class going, he just said that, right? It's just like, you heard me, but were you listening? Now, I can tell you, I can sympathize, not empathize. Empathize, I can feel somebody else's experience, even though I've never lived it. I can sympathize, because not only am I a teacher, I'm a husband. Husbands, have you ever heard your wife but not listened to her? Have you ever done what I did and regretted it every time, but were too, too hard-minded, thick-headed to change? Oh, I heard you, and I'll repeat back exactly what you said. And she'll look at me and go, yeah, but you're not listening, right? Wives, you know where that is, right? So listening's hard, because listening involves clearing away distractions. Listening involves not planning your response to what you're hearing, but just giving attention to it. Listening involves avoiding planning out your day when someone wants a piece of your heart, right? Listening avoids, uh, includes avoiding planning a vacation when someone's telling you about their struggles. It, invo- it involves giving focused attention to the person speaking, and it's hard to do. And Jesus knows that, so instead of just giving a long uh, abstract thesis statement defended by beautiful paragraphs and supported well, he tells a story that forces the person there, if they want to listen, to step inside the story and let the story start this dialogue with them. Right? It's a parable. It's a beautiful thing. But the reality is, not only is listening hard, listening to God in particular, that's really hard. Because listening to God in particular begins with humility, which is something that is a, has to be like a learned discipline for most humans. Because even people who may think very lowly of themselves still think about themselves more than they probably should. They're just stuck on how they don't think they're that great, but they're still the center of their thinking. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less and something else more. 
So when you engage and God wants to communicate to you, you need to begin with a place of saying, stepping back, going, I'm here for you. I'm not here for me. I'm here in amazement and awe and wonder at you and what you have to say to me. I'm not here with my agenda of what I need to say to you. So the disciples are wondering, right? And if you've read this passage, you might be too. You're wondering, why in the world are you talking in parables, Jesus? Jesus gives them a pretty amazing answer. So let's pick up the story. Uh, Verse, I need glasses now. Verse 10. The disciples came to Jesus and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Right? Why not just just tell them something straight up? You got them here. Why not just tell them what's what and see what happens? And Jesus says, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. That is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. Okay, now I'm going to stop for a second there. In Matthew 11, I'm sorry, Matthew 12, Jesus actually quoted from Isaiah again. This time Jesus was telling them who he is. I'm the kind of person who goes around and helps the hurting and, and, um, and heals the, the sick and brings the good news of God's kingdom and, and not even a little broken reed like the soft, weak, hurting thing. I'm, I'm never going to break it. I'm going to heal it. That's who Jesus is. That's from Isaiah. That's in, that's in the same day. But now he's going to say, now if that's who I am, this is who the crowd is. This is who you are, he's saying to them and I think to us too. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For, this is important, why? Why are they going to be like this? Is it because God makes them like this? No. Because of this. This people's heart has become calloused. It's become hard. It's become impenetrable unbreakable heart. It's become callous. They, they hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. I didn't close their ears and God didn't close their eyes. They closed their own. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. If you don't think you need healing, You don't want to listen to what Jesus has to say. It's irrelevant to your perception of who you are. You don't think you need God's grace and mercy in your life? You don't think you need someone to come and rescue you like Jesus? You're not going to listen to anything Jesus has to say. But if you do begin to realize that maybe, just maybe, you have got to figure out who this Jesus is and what he could do for you, oh, he's going to talk to you. (laughs) Your heart's getting ready to hear You see, this vision, uh, this quote from Isaiah comes from Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was a prophet. He he had this incredible vision of God, and he shows us a perfect picture of what it is to listen to God. God shows him this vision of God in this throne room, and there's, there's 
angels that are worshiping and covering their faces in humility before God. And Isaiah's there, and, and they're saying, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah, Isaiah does two things. He looks, and he shuts his mouth. He looks at God, and he closes his mouth. Right, And then an angel comes and purifies his mouth, a sign of calling. I'm going to call you and send you out to speak a word to the people. But the important thing for Isaiah is he listened. He sat there with his eyes open and his mouth shut. He wasn't going to tell God what he wanted to say. He was there to hear what God had to say, to take in who God was, to, to encounter God face to face, and then go and do what God had called him to do, which happened to be, go take this message. The people need to repent. They need to turn. They need to come back. But they're not going to listen to you, Isaiah, because their hearts are hard. They don't think their way, they think their ways are better than my ways, their wisdom is better than my wisdom. They don't, they're not going to hear you. But I want you to go tell them anyway. Right? That's what Jesus is looking at. He's looking at a crowd of people, some of whom are amazed at him. They're going to turn on him. Some in the crowd are, are aligned with him. And he says, hey, look, if you, if you want to know more about the gospel, I'll tell you more. If you've got a little bit of spark of the seed has taken root in you, I'm going to give you more and more and more. Whoever has is going to have more. But man, who doesn't have? You don't want what God has to give you? He's, he's not going to force it on you. It's going to go away. There's nowhere for that word to, to rest, to settle. So Jesus looks at the crowd and he knows that's there. Nobody comes to Jesus, right, without their minds already kind of made up, with their ears open. I mean, people have agendas. People in the crowd have thinking. And so Jesus shares a parable not to make it harder to understand what he has to say, but to make it possible for them to understand what he has to say. A parable is an act of God's grace, a parable is not intended to cover up something so that only a secret club can figure it out and get it. A parable is an act of God's grace that's designed to help those whose hearts might be hard, whose lives may be struggling, to have a moment to hear from God while their defenses drop. Right? Jesus confronts them with this word. This isn't a very comforting passage. It's more of a confrontation. But it's a confrontation done by someone who absolutely loves the people he's talking to. If some perception is that Jesus is telling the story with some base idea that he just wants to say, look, too bad for some of you, you're hard soil, you'll never get it. You got to remember, it's the same Jesus who just said, come to me, everybody. Anyone who's weary and heavy laden, come to me, I'll give you rest. Right? Jesus isn't doing a parable, sharing a parable so people don't get it. He's doing it because he knows that's the only way some of these people will ever get it. It's if they take the time to step in the story and listen to what I have to do. But that requires humility. It requires a willingness to experience conviction that leads to a repentance that turns our hearts towards God to listen to what he has to say. Well, listening's tough. Listening to God begins with humility, which makes it even harder. But when we do, when we listen to Jesus' word, it brings life. It can change us. And then the natural question would be, what is Jesus' word? What is it that Jesus wants to say? What did he come in talking about? Well, if we pick up the story, we'll see where, it, where Jesus goes with this. 
To his disciples, he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, the message about the kingdom, what was Jesus' word to them? What was it that Jesus came and said to them? Jesus came with an announcement. The kingdom of heaven, the place where God's reign and life happen is here now with me. Jesus came to bring healing, to bring hope, to bring transformation, to bring cleansing, to offer forgiveness, to bring renewal of life. That was the message that Jesus brought. Jesus' word is a word of the kingdom of heaven coming here. You see, I think sometimes we misunderstand, we get misdirected about about the word of Jesus. And we think that Jesus' word is about how he came to get us from here to heaven. But when you look through scripture, the trajectory of scripture is not to get you out of here to heaven. It's that heaven in Jesus came here. And here, Jesus is beginning an overthrow. He's beginning an insurrection of a people who are now living under the rule and reign and life-giving grace of God, who are going out, who are receiving his word, being changed by his word to become like Jesus and bring that rule and reign of God into the rest of the world. Doing things like Jesus did. Being a person like Jesus was. So sometimes we have this misdirected sense that, oh, it's about us getting to heaven, but it's not. It's about heaven getting here with us. And sometimes we have an unbalanced understanding where we think the message of Jesus is like reading um, a wonderful book, Bill Bennett's Book of Virtues, right? Wonderful book. But we think that the Bible is primarily written to teach us about what we need to do instead of a, a story that tells us what God did for us. Right? If we had chat GPT somehow plugged in our phone and every time we confronted a situation we said, chat GPT, could you give me the proper biblical principle to apply to this situation in my life? Right? And then you obeyed it. I still think you'd be missing the heart of what Jesus is getting at, right? Because there were a lot of people in the crowd that day who stayed faithful to their wives, didn't get drunk, stayed out of debt, worked hard, got up early, didn't swear, right? They did all these kind of biblical principle things, but the hearts were far from God. And, and the word that Jesus brings is a word that just doesn't give you instruction. It does, but it's a word that's supposed to transform who we are to change our hearts, to make us become people who are compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, who when we're confronted by struggle, uh, when we're hurt by others, we look to forgive. When we see the immigrant among us, the weak, the unprotected, we stand up and we try and help. Right? That's the kind of person that Jesus is trying to make us into, a person who will go out and be like him. If you plant a seed... That seed is going to grow and it's going to produce something like itself. If you think about Genesis, right? It reproduced like after like, its own kind after its own kind, right? And Jesus is saying, look, here's the seed. It's the gospel. It's the good news about who I am. You put that in you and it takes root in a heart of faith. It's going to produce something like Jesus. Something that's going to be a powerful agent of light and darkness. Of hope in a hopeless place of mercy and grace and compassion and forgiveness and justice. That's what Jesus wants to grow in us. You see, the message of Jesus could be so powerful because there's two absolute truths that are constant and, 
and essential. They're always there. One of the truths, if you want to hear Jesus' word, here's one of the truths you have to hear over and over and over and over and over again. Okay, here's the first truth. First truth is that your sin and the corruption inside you is so deep you can't even fathom the bottom. The sin and the corruption inside you is so deep you can't fathom the bottom of it. That'll humble you. If that truth sets into your heart, it's going to be awfully hard to point your finger at somebody else struggling and tell them, just buck up, dude. You can do better. You're going to be merciful. You're going to be compassionate. You're going to be kind. You're going to be patient. Because you know, I don't even know. I can't even scratch the surface of how deep sin is in my life. Even the best things I do are tainted by it. Right? Not, even, not only what I do, but what I don't do. You've got to be confronted by that. It's simultaneous truth. Sin and corruption in you is deeper than you ever imagined. It's true. Yet, his love and calling for you is greater than you ever dreamed. How do we know this? Because Jesus came. What did it take to deal with the sin and corruption in my life? It took Jesus bringing the kingdom in. Because I can never get there. It took Jesus coming in. How do I know? How would I know I'm so loved by God and called to do things for him? Because Jesus came. He didn't come to just get me to heaven. He came to call me into a place of serving him. Part of what he's doing. All right? So let me, let me move to the end. Because I want... I want us with this mindset that, that God's word to us is a word that is meant to bring life as we recognize the reality of the depths of our, of our sin and we realize the reality of the greatness of God's love and mercy. I want us to hear a little bit about what God has to say to us. Jesus went on to explain the, the parable. There's these four soils. The first soil is hard. It's like a path. It's compacted. The farmer throws the seed out and the seed lands on the path, but it can't get in. It can't penetrate anything, and so the birds come and they take it. They snatch it away. It's a hard, hard soil. See, I believe we are all in this parable. In fact, when I was thinking about it this morning, I think I've been every one of those soils at some point in my life, and I'll probably be most of them again. Right? I, don't, I don't read this as a fatalistic thing. I've seen hard soil turn soft because I know mine has. (laughs) Right? But this hard soil, maybe that's where you are in the story this morning. For some reason your heart's hard and God's word of grace is something that you don't want to hear. I'm so glad you're here because God's never going to give up on trying to get that word into your heart. And maybe you don't want to hear it because you think, I'm too good. I don't need this rescue of Jesus. I don't need a life in me. I'm perfectly fine in my life. I don't need to repent. I would just say, take a look at yourself. Take a hard look. That's a hard soil. But it's a hard soil that God would definitely penetrate through with his love. But I think there's another kind of hard soil. It's not the person who thinks I'm too good. It's the person who thinks I'm too bad. I'm too bad to really be used by God. I'm too bad to be forgiven by God. And your heart is closed to his word that says to you, your sin is forgiven. Your shame is taken away. 
you see, both of them really deal with pride. It's just one of them is kind of a tragic pride. Trust me, your sin is not so great, Jesus can't forgive you. Your shame is not so all covering that God doesn't want to wrap you up in his arms and say, that's my daughter, that's my son, I love him. And they're with me on this journey now. All right, you got a hard heart, there's a question. Why is your heart so hard? What is it? Maybe your heart was seared hard. Maybe it's not like you resisting something. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you've had a dream die and it made your heart hard. The most amazing thing about God is he wants to see you where you're at and he wants nothing but authentic, real you. So talk to him. I'm going to ask for something kind of vulnerable and I'm indulging a lot of my time. So, actually I'm indulging on your time. I got nothing else to do but be up here. Um, I'm going to indulge on some uh, vulnerability. If you've had a hard heart in your life, well, you know there was a season you went through, you're like, I don't, I don't even think I want to hear what God has to say right now. Right? Or maybe you know you had a hard heart because... You just are like, I don't even want to be a part. I don't want to hear what God has to say. My parents drug me to church and I didn't, it never made sense to me and I didn't want to do it. But then all of a sudden it made sense to you. And you knew God was talking to you. Would you raise your hand if you've been in the place of having a hard hearted? All right, here's your hope, folks. Look around. <laughs> you don't stay there. <laughs> you can change. That's one soil. Maybe that's the soil you're connecting with today. Here's another one. Right, The farmer goes out and they throw some of the seed and the seed lands on the path or it lands on, on uh, shallow soil. It's, it's a seed, it's a heart that's starved. Right? It takes root, it grows a little bit, but if you know anything about Israeli soil, there's tons of rocks everywhere. Right? There's rocks all over the place. So the roots go, but they don't go down very far and then when the sun comes up, it scorches it. Jesus' word settles into your heart, it begins to grow, but then when you face persecution because of Jesus, resistance or struggle, you wither. The life drains. I got to tell you, if, if your understanding of what it is to follow Jesus does not include suffering, you are in for a rude awakening. You will become this soil. There is not a character I can think of in the Bible who lived a godlier life than Jesus. Is that true? Godliest life in the history ever is Jesus. He faced suffering and persecution constantly. So will you. You know what? If you've got rocks in your life, if there's something there, if you've, maybe you accepted Jesus when you were young and we all, you know, we celebrate, we clap, your family loves you, your friends love you, it's all awesome. And then all of a sudden you've had to make some tough decisions about, well, if I love Jesus, I can't do that. These people want me to do that. Now they're mad at me. I don't know what I'm going to do gets harder. Maybe you face suffering, right? And that's your challenge. You lost something and you think, God, why in the world, if you love me, why would you let that happen? Right? These may be rocks. The question you'd have to wrestle with if you're thinking about this and Jesus wants you to be in this place of, of listening, what is he saying to you? Is there a rock in your life you need to dig out? Is something stopping the roots from going deeper? I would tell you, I think, I, I know there's times I've been there. Sometimes it's, it's um, doubt, right? I've gone through some deep seasons struggling and wrestling with doubts in my life. That's a rock you need to dig out. You can't let it sit there. If it sits there, you're going to get scorched. You don't have to. Raise your hand if you've ever gone through a season where they're like, there's rocks. There's something that is stopping me from growing. 
right? So if you feel like that right now, you're not alone. Any one of the people who had their hands up, if they were near you, would probably be willing to tell you about their story and how God got that rock out of their life so that they could continue to grow. You got seed that's thrown on the path. You got seed that's thrown on the rocky soil. You've got seed that's thrown uh, on the ground, and it grows, and it takes root, and everything's looking great until you realize there's all these weeds around it. You know, the, you know the annoying thing about weeds? You don't have to plant them. They just grow. You don't have to do anything to make a weed grow. It just grows. You know what's going to tangle up your life? Stuff in the world. It's not the only word you listen to. The word of Jesus is not the only word out there. It's not the only story that wants to try and tell you what it is to live, how you should live, what's important, what matters, who you are. There are stories, there are songs, there's words out there that are going to choke the life out of what Jesus wants to do with you. Unless you pull the weeds out. So, is God trying to tell you something this morning? Is there a weed that starting to choke, steal the nutrients from your heart. This should be going to fueling the work of God. Is it going to something else? Is there something you need to stop? Is there something you need to start? Is there something you need to change? See, the beauty of a parable is I don't know. But you will. If you're in this place, there's something that there's, there's, if you'd say, you know what, that's me. There's a weed in my life that's starting to choke the life of this beautiful thing God wants to do. You got to pull it out. If you don't know how to do that, talk to me. Talk to Pastor Steve or Steph. Talk to somebody else here. Because I guarantee you there's other people here who have experienced the reality of something trying to suck the life out of you. Right? You're pursuing riches and you miss the beauty of God's creation you're stuck in lust uh, and and it drains the vitality out of your life and that's not what God wants maybe there's something you need to work at cutting out or digging up well the last soil is the soil of uh, a fertile heart of faith it's good soil and the word of Jesus gets in there and it and it grows and it grows and it grows and it produces fruit it produces not only fruit like good moral decisions it produces fruit like a whole new kind of person a person who's not the way they were before a person who when they get offended says man I love you (laughs) I'm going to forgive who wants to pursue peace wants to help who's compassionate and kind that kind of person that's what grows in you that's the fruit a loving person a joyful person a patient person Right, from the inside out, as you continue to hear over and over again, yeah, sin in me is deeper than I imagined, but God's grace is greater than I could ever dream. That word takes root in your heart and it, it confronts the idols in your life, it confronts the sin in your life, it confronts the lies in your life, and it lets you get this stuff out. And you become the kind of person who goes out full of God's heart to love the people around us. Like Jesus stepped into creation to bring the kingdom right we step from this place of being face to face with God and hearing his word and we step out and we bring his love to the people around us let's pray Lord um, this is your time Um, people here need a word from you 
So I pray that in the midst of this story, in your grace, you would confront your people with your word. I pray that you would show them where they are in this life-giving gift of your grace story. Father, please guard our hearts from despair. We are never stuck. For those who struggle with faith, there's a beautiful prayer. Help me with my unbelief. For those who feel they can't be touched by your love, remind them that you will touch them and heal them. For those stuck in their sins, who feel trapped, who feel the life that you want to live through them getting sucked away by something, show them that in you there is the power to dig up those weeds and let this beautiful life of Christ grow and produce fruit. Help us like Isaiah to stand before you, God, to look on you, Jesus, in your glory and your beauty and your power and your greatness with our mouths shut, our ears open so that you could change our hearts and then lead us out into this world to love the people that you have put around us. In Jesus' name, amen.